Yeah, you know about the sport of kings. You know about the tracks, the jockeys, the horses, and even some of the people. But what you don't know about is what goes on behind the gate. It's as much a religion as it is a sport. They're everything to me, and they have so much heart, they give you so much, and they ask so little in return. There's just so much power and athleticism to the horse, and you can just put a little piece of string around its neck, and then you, you have control of all that power. I actually named a horse Spectacular Sight because I couldn't believe how beautiful she was. And I just find them to be incredible athletes, incredible creatures um, that are both uh, calm and powerful all at the same time. When you see these racehorses, I mean, <laughs> they're built different. Uh, they're built to run. And they're beautiful. And to see them walk, you know, getting ready to go, you know, around the track to the gate. Uh, it, it's pretty amazing. It, it reminds me of getting ready to, to go out and play. And uh, they have a sense, I believe they do have a sense of, yeah, today is the day. If men could live with the grace with which a horse runs, we'd all be kings. Unfortunately, every man is not a king and no man can ever hope to live for just an hour with the passion, power, and heart of even the horse in last place, running his heart out in any number of races that take place around the globe. Her mother was good to be home, and her dad is good journey, and we raised her, and we still have her mother, and we have a full sister to her also. She's a very competitive filly that shows... Uh... Uh, we hope a great degree of talent. We know she's got talent. How much she has, you know, time will, will, will let us know. Mark Giardino, racehorse owner, lover of the sport, and executive producer of Behind the Gate. Yeah, yeah. we bred her. On this farm? On this farm. She's been we have her mommy. born and raised here. She's been here for two years, over, a little over two years. And she's in her last process of getting ready to leave her first and only home to this point to go down to the racetrack. She's been broken. They do that in a round pen. Get them used to having a saddle on them and tacking them up. And getting used to being handled. Getting used to be handled. And then they start to get on them. Once they get through that process, they bring them out here to the track. First at the track, they get kind of a little new to all the surroundings and they look around and don't really gallop straight and get into it and then they start 
turn in the screws a little bit to them and start to get them a little bit more closer. If she galloped with other horses, uh, she wouldn't want to let them in front of her. If she jogged with other horses, she didn't want them to do something that looked like she could do it better. She gave us the impression that she was going to be athletic and very competitive. That's, that's the thing you never know. I mean, if a horse is going to have it, and she showed it very early that she was going to try hard. You're on your way to Kentucky. How does that happen? It's, uh, well, you know, it's, it's proof that it can happen to anybody. And uh, that's the great thing about this game. We always talk about you're only one horse away from getting back onto the big stage. How'd this one work out for you, Doug? What's, what's the history of this one? This one was bought by Paul Redham, and my brother Dennis uh, was an advisor to Paul last year in Florida at the OBS sale. Paid 35000 for him, which is relatively inexpensive. When did you know you had a runner? You know, we always train good, but you never know till you run them because so many of them will handle the mornings good, but once you have the paddock and the post parade and the gate, they come unglued. A lot of horses don't handle that stage. And uh, so when we won first time out, the way he handled himself, we knew right away he was special. There they go. The history of the horse and man are the same. They've never been apart. Horse racing has existed since the domestication of the horse in the mid-5th century in Central Asia. Thoroughbred horse racing became recognized as a professional sport in Great Britain in the early 18th century. In 1750, top breeders, owners, and supporters met and formed the Jockey Club. You know, you can go back in history. Without the horse, we wouldn't be anywhere. You know, the horses uh, from the Comanches to the Comancheros, whatever, the horse was the key element. You needed that horse to win the battle. The whole thing started 250 years ago with three stallions. The Darley, the Turk, and the Godolphin. And those three stallions were sent to the Queen of England as a gift. And those three stallions bred her coach horses. And every thoroughbred alive today goes back to one of those three stallions. In America, thoroughbred racing grew out of interest and patronage of British settlers. The first American racetrack was built in Long Island in 1665. Within 30 years, there were over 300 tracks in operation throughout the states. Horse racing flourished and expanded until the 1900s. Prohibition and anti-gambling initiatives were seen as solutions to many social issues. As a result, horse racing suffered. Horse racing has seen glorious highs and incredible lows. Horses of great reputation and athletic ability have led to some of the most exciting sporting events in our history. Joe Hernandez called the 1937 running, when along came the horse who put the stamp of approval on this race for all time, Seabiscuit. When that horse turns for home and it's your horse and he's right there and you think he's going to win the rush that comes over you is so huge in the beginning I used to really when Pesci ran I mean you too I mean our hearts started pounding 
I can only imagine what it would be like to have a horse running in the Kentucky Derby. God, you'd have to take a Valium or something. If most of us saw ourselves while that was happening, they couldn't believe how childlike and how idiotic we might act during that moment. Fulfillment much effort by everybody involved. Everybody in the barn, the trainers, the owners, is successful to know that you've exceeded at this endeavor. I remember my father taking us to Santa Anita every single weekend to watch the horses. I, I remember just wanting to live that experience with my father because his passion is horse racing. And I just wanted to be there with him and live that experience with him. Number four, I'll have another Gamaliel Marriott Hall Racing Series funny, every year it seems like the horses that come from California do very well uh, as a as a uh, head east, and uh, Bodie Meister's no different, Secret Circle ran a huge second as well, so uh, those are two strong horses, and uh, but you got a strong oh, we got to all have another. He's super strong. Neil's overrated. Oh, I agree with you, Jim, but it's not going to say it out loud. It's yeah. not really yeah. so big day in racing. The horse that wins the Santa Anita Derby will be one of the probably favorites for the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. This is our big stepping stone oh, yeah. in Santa Anita. Right now, I'm setting up the saddle for each race that I could set up, and uh, so that way I will get back up on later on in the day. And I got Garrett ready for the Saturnia Derby. This is his saddle for the Saturnia Derby. Wow. I got it ready. Then uh, he scratched out of the seven. It, it would have been the same saddle. Yeah. Because it comes back with the same weight. Yeah. Now this is for the eighth race for Alex Bisono and Gomez. And then there's this one for uh, for Gomez and Flores for the tenth race. So I, I got all my saddles ready almost. The riders get ready for each race in the jockey's room where they change to the appropriate silks and make sure their weight plus equipment coincides with what their horses have been assigned. I took off four pounds that morning. Mm -hmm. and I guess I took off a little too much, <laughs> although it paid off. Sure did. I love riding horses, but uh, it was difficult because of my weight. I had a lot of problem keeping my weight down and there is a lot of pressure to be in shape all the time. And, uh, and the pressure of uh, winning and losing. When things are not going well for you, it's tough. If you win, things are a lot better, believe me. Second only to the shoe is Lafitte Pinkai Jr. In 1970, Pinkai received the coveted George Wolf Memorial Jockey Award given annually at Santa Anita. In talking about jockeys, the man among men at Santa Anita has been William Lee Shoemaker. Well, how's your horse? How are you? Well, I'm fine, and uh, the horse has been training really well. He's coming to the race as good as he could ever be, in my opinion. But Gary Stevens and Bill Shoemaker know it's an eight going after him. Dead side from us, Ferdinand caught four wide. But those four past the half-mile. We pray for the, for the safety of the riders every day. We read some from the Bible, and then the preacher is going to say it in Spanish. Riding saddling or doing any activity that we're doing here today at, at Sanita Racetrack. 
So let's pray and ask God to bless us, to keep the animals safe, and to keep the horses safe. And then I push that horse out of the way quickly. Gotta push everybody out, man. I gotta get clear because, man, I should have won last time, remember? I ride a bunch today. Nine. Yeah, I know. No, I just have to get him to ride my horses. It's not easy. Well, he's getting, he's getting ready to ride in the big Sab one right now, man. I love to ride. The last time I went, I went, I had to go. Like, you won, yeah. Last yeah. time you rode, but you got to ride some more. You got to ride some more. Long time ago. Long time ago. Guys in rainbows. Guys in rainbows. Got uh, a good shot. Yeah. Who's the trainer? Uh, Bob Baffert. Oh, Baffert's horse. Huh? Bob Baffert. Is he going to be here today, or is he uh, still staying? No, he'll be here. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is your chance to go to Kentucky today? This is it. It's a long shot, but I'm up in this thing. Hall of Fame trainer Bob Baffert also has a horse in the Santa Anita Derby, a race he has previously won. A lot has happened in 12 days. What's this roller coaster oh, been like? Well, I'm just glad to be here. I'm very fortunate to be here, so uh, I just hope my horses run well now, but uh, I feel much better. Although he has yet to win the Triple Crown, he has won all of the individual Triple Crown races during his career. Yeah, if I would have stayed with the portal horse, I probably wouldn't have had a heart attack. How you run? How you be just no stress. It's hard to get nervous when they're only going 400 yards. Hopefully he's not overthinking it like us. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have another Santa Anita Derby. I mean, a dream about that happening. If you own a horse, it puts you on a path to go to the Triple Crown races if you have a horse that does that. It's certainly a lofty goal to have. When you see your horse run and win, it's like your son hitting a home run. You know, it's just, uh, you can't explain the excitement you get out of that. It's proven to be a goal that was very attainable for I'll have another who not only was impressive in the Lewis, he did the same thing in the Santa Anita Derby now, and so it's off to Kentucky, and uh, the excitement of having maybe that one special horse that everybody who's in the business yearns for and dreams about, and sometimes a few of them become a reality. How's our horse doing? She's doing great. She's doing great. She's coming right along, and we're pointing for the 13th of October on Cow Cup Day. I've been wanting to give Mike a horse for a while, and this, in my mind, just felt the appropriate time to do it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping for good things. I know you've, you've been uh, pretty proud of the way she's uh, been, what she's been showing has been pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, every work's been good, and each one better than the next, and... She's looked good, and it's been hard to look good over this track because the track's been so heavy and deep, and she seemed to get over it pretty good the other day. So She's um, small, but she, she'll continue to grow till probably she's five years old. And, um, you know, it's all new to her. I do not like to race two-year-olds at the beginning of their two-year-old season because I think it's too hard on them. I think their legs need to develop a little better. And I think they need more time. I actually, 
would prefer to wait till they're three to run, and so by the time she's ready to run, she will almost be in her three-year-old year. She's a cowbred, which means she was bred in California. So a cowbred horse has kind of some financial advantages if you run them on uh, in cow, cowbred races. And you work her in company usually, right? Yes, yeah. And how is she? Does she show a competitive side? Oh, yeah, or? absolutely. She's been the aggressive one of every work. Every time we've worked her, she seems to, to want to get it done and and hold her own with everything we put her up against. Uh, See if we oh can boy. win a couple races yeah. today. Well, yeah. here's hoping. Yeah. <laughs> we'll meet yeah, in the winner's exactly. circle. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for hiking. Thank, Thank you. Santa Anita is the oldest racetrack in Southern California and was opened on Christmas Day, 1934. Within a year of the state legalizing paramutual wagering, several groups formed to open the track. Santa Anita, with its lovely paddock gardens, is indeed a park. And the infield, a splash of color against a dazzling mountain backdrop, is a great attraction for the casual racegoer. Welcome to Santa Anita. Have a great day and good luck, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in the winter. Thanks, Phyllis. And this is my daughter, Megan. It's really exciting coming to the track and growing up kind of coming here. I mean, it's changed, but, you know, in a good way. Good luck to them. Thank you. There are a number of people who work behind the scenes prepping every aspect of every race. You'll never meet them. You'll never see them, but without them, there would be no race. On race day, the runners are walked from the stable area to the receiving barn, where they are checked by a veterinarian and horse identifier. Horse identifier? We look at the horses one time before they ever run, or the first time okay. they're entered, and then we'll inspect them every day before they race. Young horses, first time that they run at the track, before they can run, have to be tattooed. And it's it's right. The tattoo when a horse is tattooed is right under right here. Under, um, that identifies the horse forever. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm one of the clockers, and when the horses are going to work, the trainers come here and report the horse's name and the distance to me, and then they come back and ask for time. John sees gets one one and two. One one and two. Uh -huh. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> And Was Debbie is in charge of the um, turf club. She makes all the reservations. When you call in to get a table, you're talking to Debbie right here. Yes. And she's been doing this for how long, Debbie? Um, I've been here 17 years, but I've been in this job for about that years. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wow. What is the front runner? It's one of the restaurants up at uh, Clubhouse yeah. up on the fifth floor. And what's your official title again, Amy? Racing office manager and horse And what does that uh, entail? All day. <laughs> All day make sure everyone here is happy. Yeah? Everyone. Daryl Ann Lindley Giardino is as close to horse racing royalty as you can get. Riding since she was a child, she also holds the pedigree of being the daughter of the great actor, cowboy, artist, and advocate of the sport, Slim Pickens. I broke my first collarbone got bucked off a horse at three. So my whole life has been with these animals. It doesn't take a wager or a racetrack to prove this point. You can just take a child to see a pony for the first time. Lift the little boy or girl and place them on the saddle and watch them walk together, both a little closer to heaven than they've ever been before. I used to train ponies. I actually broke the ponies, you know. Uh, they used to use sandbags on some of them, you know, just put 
sandbags on the ponies running around. But then when they had crazy ponies, uh, some Shetlands and a couple of Shetland stallions, uh, they needed little little kids to get on them. Well, it's like I tell the jocks, uh, you know, before a race, I usually tell them I'm riding every every step with you. It's like I'm on that horse with them. <laughs> the relationship that the jockey has with the horse, there's a communication there. We might speak different language, languages, but there's no doubt that there's some bond that exists between a, a jockey and a horse a trainer and a horse, an owner and a horse. Uh, I think that team is very important to uh, the success of uh, the horse as well. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's they're a team. It, they're, they're one. They should be one. So what happens? Don't you think? I do. I would say probably 40% of the horses I race I've never sat on. Um, See, and that, that amazes me you guys can do that. Some horses were just easier to adapt to than others. With Home Journey, I'm glad I got to know her. She, you know, she wants to be aggressive, and you know, you know that that's just—it's it, good energy. It's not anything that's being overly aggressive. So I, I'm glad that I know her and know know what's underneath me because she's a very talented filly that I think, as a team, she can move forward. Daryl Ann has always been involved in the care, breeding, racing, and advocacy of horses for nearly a half century. They racehorses don't really handle like a lot of, you know, like horses handle i mean you know they don't really know how to side pass back up you know they don't do a lot they just kind of run and so um you know there's not a lot of steering mechanisms on on a lot of the racehorses and and that's why like when i took my horses from the track i gave them time off and then i reprogrammed their brains and um you know i can open gates i can do this i can do that on them and, and you also have to remember too the jockey's legs are up so high and when i'm like on my horses my legs are down lower so that means i'm better able to control them and move them around with my legs and legs are real important when you ride but the jockey's legs are up so high they don't have that ability i mean you never see a jockey with spurs come on what good would it do up there Horses must be trained to use the starting gate, and this is just part of the routine that takes place daily in the quiet hours starting at daybreak at every track. Trainers draw on learning, experience, and often a special intuitive sense to map out the conditioning of each individual. At some point, every horse is schooled at the starting gate during training and approved by the officials prior to racing. Caroline, I've been starting uh, 29 years. Wow. I've been working on the gate 38 years. Wow. Uh, I started here in 1971 for Mrs. Marge Ever. She hired me. We're really busy in the morning. Uh, we have anywhere from probably 75 to 100 head of horses up to the starting gate. And what what, what they do in the morning, there's uh, we grade horses from a, a, a okay to a fair plus to a fair to a slow. A horse has to be okay to run. Otherwise, they cannot enter in the race. But how about my little filly home journey? Wow. Yeah, she, yeah she's nice in the gate. Uh, she ran the other day, and she never made a move perfect in the gate. Those horses, they're, they're ready to rock. I, I've seen it where horses are all nervous, and something will happen. We'll have to back one out. And all of a sudden, everybody relaxes, and all those horses relax. 
When they're relaxed, they're going to run better. When do you make a call to reload? If one acts up in uh, the veterinarian, you might want to take a look at it and make sure he's not scraped up. Or... I noticed that my horse was getting ready to, you know, act up a little bit. So to get the break, I went ahead and reached up to, to go ahead and pin him down. It was just a little bit too much for my horse to handle. And so he just kind of reared up and just, I just lost my balance. So on my back, I went. You have to be just right. Uh, your nerve got to be just right. Uh, you have to be calm and uh, and alert. And you have to be in a, in a position when you want to make a decision, you, you got to be quick, you know. And, and, and when you're in shape, you can do the right decision most of the time. It's approximately an hour before the race. They give them a 20-minute call. Within 20 minutes, all the horses are required to come in here to the receiving barn. And they get inspected by a horseshoe inspector. He checks the shoes to make sure if it's a turf race, they're not running with toe grabs. Then I'll ID them and make sure it's the proper horse being presented to run. And then they'll take a vet tech or a veterinarian will take um, blood for the TCO2 testing to make sure there's no milk shaking or anything like that Are going on. illegal substances? So milk shaking is drugging. Milk shaking is more like kind of like um, blood doping where they're just boosting the oxygen levels in the blood right before the race. And that's illegal. And it's what, baking soda? Yeah, a lot of times they use the yeah baking soda or sodium bicarbonate. Once um, all that's done, they, we put a head. Um, there's a head numbers guy. He puts the head number on him and gives the groom the vest showing the correct number, and then we send them to the pack. The maiden race, you're running against other horses that haven't won yet, and so uh, uh, if you don't win your maiden race, you usually don't win any other races. Oh, so really? Well, because if you can't beat maidens, horses that have never won, your likelihood of beating horses who have won. It, it gets tougher. The thing you understand about racing is the deeper you go into racing, the tougher it gets. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can't compete, then you have to decrease in level. So uh, when you have a good horse, you think you have a real good horse. And I always say, the better your horse is, the deeper the water gets. You run against other very good horses. So That seems like a big challenge when you take on the breeding aspect. Yeah. And it seems like it's very expensive. We had uh, two fillies that both uh, uh, were very good racehorses that careers were cut short by injury. And we, we wanted to try to pass on their bloodline and develop some offspring that maybe could be as good as their mothers and maybe better. What are the odds of getting, getting a, I'll have another story going? You know, they can be very long and they could be very short. You know, if you find the right horse, uh, doesn't look like. Did you ever have that right horse in your opinion? Uh, I've had a couple that were showed that they might be those horses. It's a business. There's no question. I mean, it's expensive to own a horse, and you know. But as I said before, the excitement you get from owning that horse, you can't explain it, and you can't pay for that. You cannot pay for the excitement you get when you see your horse walk out on the track in your colors. I'm the colors. They're all the silk. There's like 8,000 in here. Wow. When we leave to go to Hollywood Park, I got a hand pick just through memory what's run in the last year. And I leave probably about four or 5,000 here. Take about 3,000. Well, there's your colors. That's your, you know, that's your piece of uh, that horse. And, uh, 
It, it's showing the whole world that you own this horse. It was an unbelievable feeling. It was nine other buddies. We put 10 guys together to own a horse. And we're probably 20 years old, and we got nosed out by O.J. Simpson's horse. My first horse, I think, was maybe 1990. Um, and again, it was kind of through family. There was a gentleman named Jude Feld, who was an in-law, who was a trainer here and got me involved in my first horse. Um, I think maybe my third or fourth horse I bought with Kevin Costner. Um, I remember that. It was funny. It was a horse named Proud to be Together. And I was with Whitney Houston on the set of The Bodyguard. And we're in a trailer, we're on a phone, and we're making an auction call. So when I was going into the paddock as an owner, that was the most exciting ever. I went to Del Mar. It was the first race. We had a horse named Lady Kell, and I owned part of this horse. What normally would be an uneventful race was made all the more exciting when a fan in the paddock spooked home journey and the horse reacted wildly, knocking a couple of women to the ground in the process. Expertise and calm of veteran jockey Aaron Grider brought home journey back under control. Usually a horse burning this kind of energy before a race is an indication that the horse will have nothing left for the competition ahead. When you are on that racetrack, it's deadly serious business out it there. Is, it is. And I, I there's million dollar horses out there and you better not you better know what you're doing or or you're in trouble. I thought, oh no, you know, she's used all her energy up, it's not good. She's she's not gonna be able to well in this race and I think Mark kind of thought the same thing all of a sudden she started to rear and buck a little just to play a little but she started to come towards me and I don't know if it was the color of my dress and a little frisky and she showed me that she might hop a little bit but when I was getting up on her and you know, I'm halfway there she started to lunge and at that point you can either bail or you can try and hang with them and you know there's uh I don't know if I'm such a good cowboy, but I sure don't like falling, so Thank I hung God in you well. Hung with her. Yeah, she she was good, and you know she bucked a few times, but once she did, she settled down and just said, "Okay, what am I supposed to do?" And let's get out of here and be professional. The horse, one of the most magnificent animals that God ever created. If you doubt it, go down to your nearest track and put ten dollars down on any horse. Then listen for the beat of your own heart as it matches the thunder brought down to the earth as their hooves find the ground. You'll feel a shortness of breath as the race begins. And if that race is close and you have a chance at turning your $10 bill into a 20, trust me, you'll pray, you'll scream, you'll cheer, and most of all, you'll want to see your horse, your new best friend, cross that finish line first. And, uh, whoa.
You won't care if it's by a nose, head, or ten lengths. You're going to want to be right and see your choice standing dead center in that winner's circle. Proud, happy, and triumphant. You're going to want to win. Quite a bit of money was made on Old Journey that day, at odds of over 25 to 1. The horse had become a magician and turned $2 bets into nearly $60. Long-term owners are guys who are just tough because it's man, If you're an owner and you're a good owner, you don't armchair quarterback after the race. You just take your punches and you keep going. You just got to have that staying power. Good owners, like, you know, not the guys who come in for six months, buy a horse, lose, they're out, or the guy who buys a horse wins and the next horse loses. He's out. It's the guys who have the staying power. you got to have staying power. Actress Greer Garson Fogelson and her husband Buddy were chosen racing's outstanding owners of 1971, the first year of the Sports Eclipse Awards, for their campaign of the horse of the year, Ack Ack. Oh, my God. What happened? Well, I'm still recovering. Um, our Philly won, first-time starter. I've never had a first-time starter win ever as long as I've been in the horse business racing. I, I have to tell you, it's the highest high you could ever be on in your whole life. After she used so much energy, I thought, I thought, well, she can't win this race. And then when I saw her, and it's like, holy cow, she's got so much speed. The one thing you can't buy at a sale or by looks is what somebody has in their chest. Uh, she's a racehorse. She acted like a racehorse. She performed like a racehorse. There may be horses bigger and maybe appear to be stronger, but there's not a lot of horses that have a bigger heart. And I'll take heart over size any day of the week. Everybody has told us that this filly has done everything right. She's, but, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to believe because you don't see her do everything right. But I guess they were right. She does do everything right. While Home Journey was busy making believers out of skeptics, I'll Have Another was busy winning the Kentucky Derby, the first leg in the possible capture of the elusive Triple Crown, a feat no horse has been able to accomplish since the Great Affirmed in 1978. Many have come close, but very few have ever realized the dream. You know, the Derby, the lead-up to the Kentucky Derby, I've never been part of that kind of energy. We, we had two run in 2007, but they were rural outsiders, and this year bringing the San Diego Derby horse in there, you know, we had some attention on us leading up to the race, and just the energy and the excitement going into the race was just second, and I've never experienced anything like that. Horses are athletes, yeah, they have to be in good shape to win. If you train hard, if you train properly, if 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 you're winning your fights and and you're confident, uh, yeah, that's that's one thing. But if you have that it factor, that one little thing that only a few can have, then you're gonna be great. World champions are a breed apart. Oscar De La Hoya has defeated a record 17 world champions, won 10 different world titles in six different weight classes, and has generated more pay-per-view revenue than any other boxer in history. De La Hoya knows a thing or two about winning. You look at the horse in the eye, and there's something you feel. There's that instinct that, that you cannot train for, you cannot buy, you cannot make up. It's just there. It's a feeling that 
that that you get and only from a special horse only from a special horse a nationwide panel of turf experts voted this list of the top thoroughbred stakes winners during the quarter century of racing at Santa Anita Sea Biscuit who climaxed his famous comeback by winning the 1940 Big Cap. I keep harping back to Secretariat and horses at Lake Zenyatta. I mean, they're so special. You know, it's like a Gretzky or a Lemieux in hockey. What's Secretariat? It's one of the top 50 athletes yeah. of all time. So to me, they are unbelievable athletes. They jog every day. I've been on them before. Um, and the, the power and the explosiveness is amazing. It truly is. Paul LaDuca is a former Major League All-Star baseball player. He has owned thoroughbred racehorses and is currently a TVG racing analyst. They love to do what they're doing. And you can see a horse's demeanor change as soon as you put the bridle on. Um, it would be like me putting on my cleats. Uh, their game face does go on, and it, it's pretty amazing to watch. They're just phenomenal athletes. And, I mean, to go through the stress and strain of training that they do and uh, to be able to run a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half, whatever, it's, it takes a special animal. Four-time Pro Bowl selection and two-time Super Bowl champion Dwight Hicks talks about what it takes to be a winning athlete and how he sees the jockey and horse relationship. It basically comes down to will to And uh, with the better athletes uh, go above and beyond, number one, you have to be blessed with to train and with the training and the discipline and all that you know, I think it takes all of that to have a, a champion but then the stars have to fall in the right place too because there's other guys you know trying to compete and, you know want to beat you just as bad as you want to beat them I was an exercise physiologist I trained a number of world-class athletes in different sports they said, if you can make us run faster, why don't we get a horse, see what you can do with a horse. You can train human athletes a lot harder than you can a horse. A horse, you pretty much have to baby him. You have to be gentle and get the most out of him by being kind to him. Human athletes, you can just drill them to death and they'll give you their best. They're, they're, they're high, high potent animals that uh, have a lot of energy. They have fragile you know, bodies that you have to take care of and they're, they're taken care of like every other athlete there is. Racehorses rank up there with the greatest athletes on the planet. Just like Michael Jordan, Joe Namath, or Muhammad Ali, these animals are trained, cared for, and given every opportunity for success. Human being can go to so many other ways to develop his body. Horses have to do it with their legs. Everything is about their legs. And if you were to design a horse in a think tank, you probably wouldn't design them the way they're built. You got an 11 to 1200 pound animal uh, who's on four legs that are smaller than ours with very little muscle to them, mostly tendons, ligaments, and bone, with feet that are not directly below their legs that have to take a lot of shock in pounding when they're running. And they can run at 40 to 45 miles per hour. So it takes a lot of effort to get them into the physical position for them to be competitive against their peers at a high level. These are athletes and they are taking care of it like they are. They get 
their legs rubbed down, whether it's um, with, with ointment, with, with mud wraps, or whatever it might be. They get their ankles wrapped and uh, just for support, like Michael Jordan always did when he was playing basketball. Our stars get treatment they cannot believe. I mean, the treatment these horses get, and I think they think, like, these trainers send them out, and they're tough on them. I mean, these trainers are the biggest animal-loving freaks that I've ever met. In the economy we live in now, I think a lot of people don't realize that some of these horses live better than probably 30 to 40 percent of America. And that's a harsh truth. But if you went to some of the farms in Kentucky and some of the farms where these horses are, you could eat off the floors. Anybody that's, that's a high society, you might call them, and they've got good horses, they pay big money for the horses. And uh, so you have to be careful. And uh, not just for that, but just being a horseman, you, you take precautionary methods, you know, to, to make horses last. In 1982, John Henry, at age seven, would try that route. Assigned 130 pounds, the most weight ever carried to victory in a big cap, John Henry was readied by trainer McAnally for his attempt to become the first horse in history to win the handicap twice. Ron McAnally is one of the greatest and most respected trainers in the history of the sport. Known best as the trainer of the great John Henry, McAnally has over 2,500 wins as a trainer and shows no signs of stopping now. Well, of course, John Henry was a horse that I trained. He was, you know, my favorite horse. Three of them across the track with three-eighths of a mile to go. It's the one on the outside high council at the rail. No matter what their point of view, experts, spectators, trainers, and owners all agree on one thing. The racehorse is perhaps the greatest natural-born athlete on the planet. They turn for home. On the outside, here comes John Henry. John Henry on the outside between horses Perot. It's the one-third at the rail. And down the stretch they come. On the rail, it's Perot. I just love the competition of and, and that it's an event. And watch these beautiful, powerful animals compete. If you compare the records of some of the most successful horses in history to the greatest athletes in any sport, the horses usually come out on top. In order for any modern-day athlete to match these records, you would have to look to boxing mixed martial arts or tennis to find athletes who get close to success in their fields to equal that of the best horses. What's the most exciting part for you? Winning. <laughs> the horses are number one because those without them were done. The gamblers are the ones who support the game. And without the gamblers, this game's over. January 16, 1989, I picked nine winners in a row, got a $3,840 pick nine ticket, won $1,065,000. you got to promote what goes on between these gamblers because everyone's competing against each other. And then at the end of the race, somebody's a genius because they won. I do three things mainly, okay? I come out here in the morning and I watch horses train and I obviously talk to horsemen. The second thing I do is drudgery, and that's two, two and a half hours of statistics and re, uh, watching replays on the replay machine. And third, what I do, and equal as important, if anything, is paddock profiling the horses in the afternoon. When people say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if the horse could talk to you or straight from the horse's mouth? It doesn't come from their mouth. It comes from their body language. Horses do speak to you. They tell you how they're feeling, good, bad, or indifferent, depending on their body language. 
And uh, I've been incredibly blessed to be around extraordinary horsemen uh, for the last 27 years of my life here in Southern California. And uh, I'm a pretty good paddock profiler. I, everyone has their own way of reading a form, you know. Uh, you can go by breeding, you can go by uh, trainers, you can go by jockeys, and there's the people that just like to pick a number, and then there's a million girls we know that pick the color of the horse. My best friend's father was uh, a professional racetrack better uh, and uh, avid follower of horses, and he would study five, six hours a night. He would chart every horse, he would write down what happened to him, whether it was a horse he bet or didn't bet or was watching. He would have extensive notes and uh, I was infatuated with how um, I began to root for certain horses that I saw over and over again. It's almost like uh, inside they became my horse. Whenever I introduce people to uh, thoroughbreds, they, once they get bit by the bug, they, they don't go back. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very special thing, but it's hard to actually explain. It's hard for me to just stand here and explain it to me. you got to come out and check it out for yourself. It's like nothing else. It's, uh, it's just captivates you. It's a disease. Once you uh, get involved, there's no turning back. Going to the local store uh, in the neighborhood and picking up the racing form, paying 25 cents, and uh, he would give me an extra nickel to buy a candy. I mean, those are the best moments of my life. You can pick who you root for and who you're betting on. So it's really a thinking man's or woman's game. There's no greater value on your gambling dollar than a horse race. If you're willing to keep your hands out of your pockets and wait for the right opportunities, there is nothing anywhere in Vegas or sports or poker or any other form of gambling that even comes close to the opportunities that horse racing presents you with. Only four other races had ever had purses as large and none lasted. Skeptics predicted the same for the big cap, especially since the country was in the midst of the Great Depression. But many big stables sent their horses, even delaying retirement of some. The big cap was launched with a full field of 20 starters. To me, it's like it's like a science, and there's a little bit of competitiveness, you know, reading the form, taking a look at the horses. You know, I'm a competitive person, and it's just the way it is. That's the thrill of it for me. It's not always for the, for the rich. I hit the long shot on the uh, marathon race. I almost retired last week, I'm sorry to say. I just missed that Mega Millions by six numbers. It was very, very close. I can feel it. Yeah, it's definitely a social event. We've met a lot of people along the way. And uh, it's, you know, meet new friends and, you know, owners and trainers has been a blessing too. So, yeah. I think this is one of those kind of races where I think anybody can win. It's not, there are no givens here. We've got to work hard. And my experience has been the harder you work, the luckier you get. It's yeah. so, <laughs> so never yeah. true. Yeah. Every day you find something new in this business. Give me one. Let me do it just once, even on the gallops. So you feel sorry for poor little bullet train. But it's that kind of affinity you have with horses and, and with the, those who train them, those who own them. It's a great activity that brings people together. You talk about it and you reminisce and you think what might be in the future and you have your hopes and your dreams when you buy a horse and a lot of money can often be spent, often a little money, so what? But to, to the person who buys it for a few thousand dollars, nevertheless it means a lot to them. 
these animals give their lives for our pleasure. He came directly at my finger. It looked like a carrot, apparently. Did you tell Mark you're sorry for biting him? We know he's got good teeth. We can't forget the people who spend their lives following the horses from track to track. These people have built their lives around the care and love of these four-legged athletes and they give them their all. Rosie, how long have you been working here? 32 years. Oh my goodness, you've seen it all. Everything. Everything. Here at Clarkson's Corner, whatever I hear here, I'm just like a priest. I can't open. Uh, yeah. so but maybe you, I'm gonna have. Like a, I'm gonna make. A, I'm gonna write a book. Yeah. What happens at Clarkson's Corner stays at Clarkson's. Don't even have to ask. I know what they want when they get it. There's right. your, your key. The Hall of Fame in here, huh? Yeah. John Henry up there. Right here is Bob Backford. I came here first time in 1947 as a player. And I stopped working since 1972. Everybody loves me. I love them too. Oh, we love you, yeah. yeah. Everybody does love you. Everybody loves me. They say, why? Because I care for people. Frank and Mary are sisters. And brothers. <laughs> sisters and brothers, yes. Wow. What's it like being a family team out here? I like it. And then you have the tours during the uh, the race. That's right, the tours. So you see more children. It's infectious. I think it rubs off on you because you see, you know, their enthusiasm, and it makes you appreciate, you know, that you're here and you're actually, you know, around these animals. You see people come in, they, even if they're not gamblers. You know, the people that are here to see the animal, and they appreciate you know, just the beauty of the animal, the strength of the animal. But every now and then you have someone that just doesn't understand that you know, there's a reason that this is blocked off from the public. We try to make sure all four legs are showing and then the horse is looking at us so we can see the head marking and the leg markings. And then if something's wrong and we need to apply for a correction, then we'll have to take more photographs and rewrite the markings. A lot of times the markings are up for interpretation on how someone looks at one star, another person might describe it a little different. And Kim is a steward. She's the policeman. Yes, I am. She's the policeman, one and she's three. very strict. Yes, one of three. And Daryl Ann knows how strict I am. I do. I've seen her. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've. We, I've gone in. And she understands. And why. I understand. Yes, I do. It's all about safety, and it's all about not only the safety of the man, but the horse also. Of course, too. And and we have to enforce the rules and regulations. Yes, and safety is a big part of it. Yes, and and if there's a discrepancy or a dispute over. Uh, who won the race, whatever. Who infraction who, if there's an inquiry called, if there's a jockey's objection, owner or trainer objection, and we review it and make a decision. Is this a 24-7 operation? Oh, yeah. You know, because anything can happen in the middle of the night. You know, I have a guy, you get a call. I have a guy at the barn all night, you know, when we're you know, home, in case the horse gets sick or something like that. One mistake can make it be a life to a horse. And then you're back out here. You know, the horse can get car like or something in the middle of the night, and you want to be on top of it, yeah. you know, because an hour can make a difference. Tranquilo, no se oye ruido de nada. Y pregunta que si usted vive aquí. Si, nos tienen cuarto. Yeah, he has a bedroom here. Yeah. What's it like during the middle of the night here? ¿Cómo es la noche? En medio a la medianoche o a la una de la mañana, ¿cómo es aquí? Muy tranquilo, no se oye ruido de nada. It's very serene, yeah, there's no noise or anything. Los caballos tienen que estar tranquilos. 
Within the horse racing world, the precautions that most people don't have any sense or have any knowledge of are pretty immense on these horses. I always try to do what's right for the horse. The horse comes first, you know, and without the horse, you know, and run them in the wrong spot, run them in the wrong time, it's not going to do me any good, it's not going to do the horse any good, it's not going to do the owner any good. This is Fennel Butte Zone. Um, the runners for tomorrow will be getting Butte shots. And what does this do for them, the horse? It's an anti-inflammatory, just like human athletes run on Advil, ibuprofen. It's an anti-inflammatory. Sometimes certain trainers seem to jive better with certain characteristics in a horse. We breed these horses, they love running, they race. We take as good care as we can. These horses are very well taken care of. They're, they get the best of everything, the best feed, the best care. They're very well taken care of. This medication is called GastroGuard, and you give it to horses to help with ulcers because they get ulcers. This is like 50 or $60, maybe more, a two. Mm. And a lot of these racehorses get it because they get ulcers just like people. That's John Henry. He's a little old man horse right here. And see how uh, Ron's bridles, Dan is meticulous. And the brow bands are all mm -hmm. even. You know, they're all hung perfectly. When you go outside, everything's hung up perfectly. Dan is meticulous. Trainers take uh, quite a lot of care to bring them along to make sure that they can get the talent out of them uh, without injuries prior to racing, which in itself is the hardest spot. Once you get them racing, they're pretty much in condition and it's more of a maintenance program, but getting there is stretching those limits each time to get them farther along and closer to uh, the reality of be becoming race ready and uh, developing their ability to its fullest. Trainer have to uh, sometime uh, uh, get to know the horse, uh, get to know what the horse really wants, uh, get to know when he wants to be work, when he doesn't want to be work. Yeah, home journey's doing great. You know, there's a very nice horse that she was working with, and she just wanted to make sure she stayed in front of her, which shows me that she's she's got great uh, great skills, but she's also got great heart, and that's what wins races. While Home Journey was preparing for her second race, I'll Have Another was busy winning the Preakness, the second leg of the Triple Crown. A firm came back to Santa Anita for the 1978-79 season after winning the Santa Anita Derby and Triple Crown and being acclaimed 1978 Horse of the Year. A firm won the Triple Crown. I said, oh, okay, next year we have another one. We came within uh, a neck of winning the Triple Crown, won the, 
won the uh, uh, Kentucky Derby in a hard-fought battle, won the Preakness in a hard-fought battle, and looked like he was going to win the Belmont easily. And he got nailed with about two strikes left to go. But a year later, we came back and won the world's richest race in the Dubai World Cup was $4 million. And that horse trusted me, and, and I trusted him. And he would give me everything that he had, and I, he knew that I was given everything I had to encourage him to be there. A firm was put through his paces by Laz Barrera, who later in the year would collect his fourth consecutive Eclipse Trophy as Trainer of the Year. Santa Anita Derby, Kentucky Derby, Preakness. Did the pressure amp up from the Derby to the Preakness? Yeah, you know, the excitement amped up. You know, after winning the Santa Anita Derby, I didn't think it got any better than that. I was like, I was ready to retire. Thank God I didn't retire because I was ready to do that. <laughs> And, uh, and then the Kentucky Derby winning that, and then winning the Preakness. Are you kidding me? How's it getting any better than this? And, uh, you know, it's all about the horse. So as long as the horse continues to do well. The first day I laid eyes on him, I knew it's a Derby winner. The odds to accomplish the feat of a triple crown, they're probably a million to one. If, if not more. To, what I ask. To be able to get a horse to do what you've gotten this horse to do, uh, up to now. It becomes so much more difficult with each race, and, and the development of the horse and the horse's personal development is just built along in such a great, perfect pace. Uh, yeah, he's peaking. How, how do you, how do, you do that, Doug? How well, do you, you know, I think we're extremely blessed. Well, first of all, he's a brilliant horse, but secondly, Paul Redham chose to run him in the Bob Lewis off a five-month layoff. You and I wouldn't have done that, I, you know, and, and that's something that uh, he wanted to see. I He kept saying to me, uh, you keep telling me how good this horse is training. Why not put him in the Bob Lewis and just kind of get a gauge where we're at? And I said, all right, that makes sense. And, and we did it, and he won impressively. And by doing that, we gained some more graded earnings. We were able to give him a nine-week break. And that all kind of set into motion where we are right now. So I think that if we hadn't run into Bob Lewis... We wouldn't be here. We'd be talking about some allowance race at Hollywood Park. I'll have another. Doesn't have the problem. Wins the Triple Crown. Do they race more, him again? More than, more than likely, he would have been retired. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though the owner, uh, from what I heard on the uh, television, he's not a breeder. He, he likes to run horses. So in that case, he might have kept him around for another year. Like the Maybe. Breeders' Cup? But he would have been worth maybe $20 million that he won the Triple Crown. So $20 million, the insurance companies aren't good. If he goes out there and breaks a leg, you know, he's out. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the Sandia Derby and the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, he probably sat five minutes in the winter circle waiting for all his knuckleheads trying to get lined up to take a picture. Sure. And he just stood there after running his butt off and just... Stood there. Waited on you. Yeah, waited on us. I mean, he's, uh, he's obviously a very special horse. The single-day attendance record at Santa Anita, which had stood since 1947, was broken when 85,527 fans came for the handicap in 1985. If history is to be believed, then horse racing is just like every other major sporting event that has seen highs and lows. 25 years ago, American race fans wagered over $9 billion during the 1989 season, and approximately 50 million fans attended live racing events over an 8,000-day racing season across the country. Today, while the wagering might still be keeping pace, 
live attendance, interest in the sport, and even the number of breeders and owners has begun to suffer. The fan attendance is down because of the TVG and all the home betting. But uh, there's still leak on uh, Saturdays and Sundays. You'll get some people, but not like they used to. We just don't have people who have enough vision. I just think you got to compete, and we don't have anybody who wants to compete. I mean, me included. I think if if I saw what I was lacking right now is we still got to get out there and compete because in order to beat the Lakers or in order to compete with the movie theaters, we got to put on a better show. And it's just like, I think we lack that. I think we lack that kind of like the fighting thing. You know, we lack, PETA comes out against us, everyone runs, even though the, everyone's an animal lover. Sometimes you forget when you, for so long, people wanted to come out, wanted to come out. Now it's like, how do we get them out here? Instead of, they're not coming. How do we get them out here? Back in the day, we were the number one spectator sport in the United States. We didn't have uh, competition from Major League Baseball. We didn't have competition from the NHL, the NFL, or Major League Baseball, um, NASCAR, any of that. And we failed to promote our sport. We don't get any young blood in the game. The future is, is dismal. Gambling in general is hard to do. You're going to suck a person dry for two more days? Let him refuel his bank account and go to work. And then he'd be able to come out on Friday, Saturday, Sunday with his family instead of coming out on Wednesday and Thursday and maybe not going to work. Too many people love when other people lose. It's like it should be we're all together. I mean, we're all on the same page. And I think until we get that, it's going to be uh, it's tough sledding. But we're getting there. The world is changing constantly. Uh, our society is changing. There's so much more to do. And if you look at boxing, boxing to me isn't what it used to be. Uh, and maybe horse racing is, is changing in that respect too. Um, but because our world continues to change, you know, I mean, we, we'd like to keep the things that we love and that we know uh, and have it perpetuate and keep going. Two sports in this world that are dying. One is boxing, one is horse racing. Two things they have in common, no commissioner. And that's the bottom line. Um, to me, this sport has rubbed people the wrong way for a long time. And I'm not saying every partnership out there and this and that, but there's been a lot where taking people over the barrel, it's the bottom line. I mean. Buying a horse for sale for 150000 and by the time you sell the shares of the horse, it's 250000 And you know what? They got away with it for a long time, and now it's over with now. Um, and things need to be regulated. The drug rules need to be the same. And I, mean, I know it's different because it's different rules from state to state, but somehow someone needs to get this all together. And I just, I don't get it. It's a, it's a sport that eats its own. Um, it's a sport that wants to be big, yet when you criticize or, or a, uh, you are a little critical about something that goes on in the sport, they don't like it. There's just so many different things that need to be done, and because we're losing the generation. If you look at the generation that comes to the racetrack, they're... My I'm, age. <laughs> I'm, yeah, and I'm 40 now, and you see a lot of guys my age. But from 40 and below, you don't see a lot of kids. I mean, unless you're at Keeneland, unless you're at Del Mar, but at your local racetrack. Um, and it's it's just tough to gauge. But to me, I think there's just too many different rules, 
too many different things, too many people with their hands out and not enough people uh, giving back for the fan. Uh, I blame it on the not taking care of the customers and fans that we've had. We've let them get away from us. If they come once or twice and they win, they'll see it. If they come here and they lose their savings for the week, you might not get them back again. <laughs> and in baseball and football and basketball, I used to tell everybody, uh, the guy that sells the team or, I mean, owns the team signs your check. But the people that come through the turnstiles are the people that are paying your check. It's the same in, in horse racing. If, unless you're not coming through the turnstiles, the purses are going to go down and everything else is going to go down. The breeding programs, it's going to go one thing after another. Um, and, and it's just, it's really tough to see and to watch now some of these great racetracks that might be closing soon or the way the sport is going. I think just a love. There's not a love for it. It used to be a love. People would want to read the paper. The newspapers just don't print us because there's not a love for horse racing. So they got to change that public perception. There's not a love of the animal. It's just not there. Professional sports, horse racing, um, it's all about money. It's all about economics. And uh, you have different people going to the, these events. And uh, somehow, you know, maybe uh, as people grow old and die off and they're not taking their uh, families or kids, showing them the nuances of horse racing, and kids are getting into other things. People aren't passing it on. Uh, kids aren't as interested. And if you don't have the fans, yeah. I think the dope and the drug thing comes up all the time. And it's just not promoted where people are saying, I mean, you know, the right things. Everyone says drugs. And then I don't see how that would ever help us. I think if there was a controversy, it'd be the jockeys going at it or different trainers not liking each other, the competition. I think that's the only thing. But as far as the drug thing, I think that's something just putting another nail in the coffin. I don't think the game is at all the problem. I mean, we still have these phenomenal animals and the horses there's nothing more amazing to watch run than a horse and the fact that that has to interact then with a human being i think is extraordinary so we have the man and we have the beast and they couldn't be more beautiful union than that word so it is the bravery certainly of the riders all horses aren't brave you know they're like human beings there's some cowards there and there's some try their best and no other sport do you go around with an ambulance following you in racing you go out there you're 35 40 miles an hour and you could end up in this is not a sport for the faint of heart. There are a million things that can go wrong with a horse or with the business of racing. So to be a part of it, you have to love not just the horses, but the business as well. What goes through your mind when your horse goes down like it did last week? It's just basically, you're in the forest saying, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Let it happen now fast. Then did you do a complete oh, yeah. roll? And I was trying, trying to pull the horse away from, from the exit. Or it just, it happens so fast. It takes that special talent to, to, to bring back the masses, um, you know, to the sport of boxing. And, uh, you know, it takes a special horse. It takes a special jockey, you know, to rekindle that fire. That's the one huge challenge, of course, of the Triple Crown is you got three taxiing races on three different type of dirt surfaces, 
three different states, and then uh, you could see why guys want to go there every year. You know, want to try to um, be part of the Triple Crown Series every year because it's so much excitement. And there's nothing better uh, that comes along with winning than winning with friends and family. And then thank you guys for being there through all the highs and lows. And we're all rooting really hard for we you. We are. Absolutely. You're very deserving of this opportunity. And you'll be able to hear us. You have it. Thank you. And uh, yes, you'll be able to hear us yeah, all the way yeah. to New York. And better. As O'Neill preps for the Triple Crown, trouble is brewing for him and his horse. Amid controversy and speculation, O'Neill and his partners pull I'll have another from the Belmont Stakes, ending his chances for the Triple Crown. The reason for the scratch was noted as tendon injury, but other issues came up. Uh, and then at, at that case, uh, it could even break down to the point where the just not being fast got to be such a shock for this horse to be, you know, so primed and ready to run, and now it's so let down. You know? Bittersweet, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, getting that close, and then, uh, and you know, what you can't stop appreciating a horse wins the Kentucky Derby, then he wins the Preakness, and, and then, the, San then the big Derby letdown, too, and how do you deal with all those emotions? Yeah. I know. Well, it, it is a letdown, but you, you, you've got the reward that had that special horse and he traveled you know, a lot farther than most people ever get an opportunity to shoot. And they didn't beat him. Yeah, they you didn't know, beat him. They didn't beat him. You know. Caught, back caught early us. enough if it's just a tendon injury. Uh, yeah, um, they can, uh, with time off, uh, that can heal. Um, it has a very poor blood supply, um, so it takes a long time to heal. But it's potential, there is a good potential that it will heal up and be fine. Um, as you get into more dispensary ligament issues, uh, they can be uh, definitely somewhat life-threatening. What degree did Hell have another? Um, it was actually, quite, from what I'm told, it's quite mild. I haven't seen the horse, um, but from what I'm told, it was uh, on the milder side. Um, but it was uh, still, the horse would probably not compete at the top level of race anymore. When it does heal, they come back at a lower level. Usually, yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's very few that that will do better after that injury. Well, so. I, I I think it showed a lot that uh, that they scratched the horse, <clears throat> you know, yeah. because they probably could have. Of course, I don't know if it would have gotten by the fence. Yeah, but. potentially not. <laughs> <laughs> potentially not. But it was definitely the the soundest move for the yeah. welfare of the horse. Of course, yeah. 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 And it would have affected the performance in that particular race. Most likely, yes. It would have. Um, yes, most no likely. No way of knowing that. For sure. Yeah, there's no way to be sure, but yeah. but mo- if you, likelihood is yes. The likelihood is yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I was disappointed, but I didn't want to see the horse get hurt. Well, he will always have we a feel home that with we us, feel so. that way about all of our horses. Yes. Her family, you know. I'll have another, the super horse with the super story, that uh, started uh, Santa Anita Derby, Kentucky Derby, Preakness. Every day, something can happen physically to an animal to impair their ability to move forward and or even remain at the level that they're at. We, you know, come out with a thing going, oh, Doug O'Neill suspended, he's cheating. It's like, it's so dumb. But nobody wants to say, guys, what are you doing? This is the dumbest move. In baseball, a manager never gets fired before the World Series. Football, there's never a coach getting fired before a Super Bowl. Golf. Tiger Woods, he's the most fine golfer there is. Nobody knows that. They find in-house, NASCAR. But instead, horse racing decides to come out and make a negative statement. It's just, it's terrible. 
NYRA, New York Racing Association, has been under a lot of different audits, and there's been a lot of stuff going on there. So now the the state has basically been running the place over there, and, and uh, you know it'd be like the DMV coming here and running Hollywood Park. It'd be a challenge. Unfortunately, I think every conversation or every interview with Doug was, so how do you feel about your suspension? And he's like, well, what do you mean how do I feel? I was found innocent. How do I feel? I feel terrible. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel bad because I think the CHRB thought they were doing something right, but they just did a huge, huge fumble. The people that were wanting to take it negative were all people that didn't know me, didn't know Paul, didn't know the horse, didn't know our barn. This isn't a tragedy, you know, and that's what we kept saying. It's like, it's not a tragedy. It's a bummer. It's terrible. Yeah, is a tragedy. No, I mean, 9-11 was a tragedy. These issues tarnished the season but could not diminish the greatness of the horse, his record, or the excitement he generated for the fans and racing as a whole. And all it takes is one athlete, one special athlete, or one special horse to rekindle that fire, that passion that people have towards racing. Sometimes you have a very competitive horse that unfortunately doesn't have a lot of talent. Sometimes you have a very talented horse that's not very competitive. So we've had both. Uh, I'd rather have a competitive horse that's got limited talent than a talented horse that... We we definitely have had that. Yeah, that (laughs) that have talent, but they just won't give it to you. They're not competitive. Oh, I, yeah, I spend a lot of time at the barn with my horses. Um, they're, it's time-consuming. It's a time-consuming. No, no matter what discipline you do something with a horse, it's time-consuming. And you really have to watch them because things happen. I mean, accidents. It's just amazing how much trouble they can get into. I could wrap them in cotton, put them in a stall, and they still find a way to get themselves hurt. I mean, you, you know, every morning when I go to the barn for my own saddle horses, it's like, oh, please be okay. Yeah, Home Journey, she's a filly that for as little as she's done so far uh, competition-wise, she's really smart. She knows what she's doing, and, you know, I don't think you can teach a horse to be competitive. I think you either have it or you don't, and and she does. Yeah. You know, I get flustered when I talk about these animals because I love them so much. Um, when you when you're around them and you see them as a baby and you watch them come to the races and you watch them come to the track and you know I mean it's like I can see my horses out there and I know what they're gonna do. I mean I just know what's gonna what how they're gonna react to something. Uh, yeah, you know, you don't, you hate to see them go, you know. I mean, it's the uh, same thing with Pesci when she got hurt, you know. It's not just that she had my name, but we didn't want to let her go, you know that. And we sold half of her at some point or a quarter of her. And, uh, but I still wanted to hang on. So we started breeding. That's what we were doing, you know. We're still breeding. When we first uh, retired him at the horse park, we let him out to the center of the paddock where he was going to live the rest of his life. And he slowly eased the shank off of him. And he started backing away. He's standing there in the middle of the paddock. I've seen horses and I've seen him when he hollered for his feet. He let out the biggest yell. He's, you know, he started hollering. And the thought came to me, uh, uh, he's thinking, all I've done, you know, all my life, and you're leaving me. 
Above his grave is a stone with the following poem. If tears could build a stairway and memories a lane, I'd walk right up to heaven and bring you home again. If we could just produce more heroes. You can't always give, you can't give them what's inside their heart, inside their chest. They have to have it or they don't have it. And some horses have it more than other, and it, it further uh, makes them accomplish what they're physically able to, on whatever level that is. Where sometimes you'll get a horse, uh, which we had several years ago, a horse, Storm and Lucy, who we bred, and if you were to see her in a sale, no one knew horses would give $10 for her. Uh, she won allowance races and everything. She had a heart bigger than this in this room. Uh, she just wouldn't quit. Yeah, home journey's doing great. She, you know, she, she won first time out and then she's really settled good. They gave her a little bit of time and didn't rush her back into her, her morning workouts right away just to ease her mind and let, let her relax and enjoy the victory. And she's doing great. She's full of energy. Um, you get on her, she's very playful, and it's it's nothing that she's doing that's wrong. It's just that she's she's got so much energy, she's dying for you to let her go. So sometimes it's a little interesting on your way to the track. Today, Home Journey will race to see if she has what it takes or if the first time out was just a fluke. The horse has had some incredible workouts, and it's time to put her speed to the test. Stoffer with the call live, race number seven from Betfair, Hollywood Park. They're off. Warren Sugarbuzz made a mess of the break. Home Journey broke very well, goes to the front from Tribal Gal and Oh Happy Gray. At the rail goes Awesome Annie, then Ogolly Molly and Wink and Wish, followed by a kiss for a rose and sacred delight, and Warren Sugarbuzz at the back of the pack. Home Journey up the back stretch, it's a two-length advantage. Now more than that to the half-mile pole. Home Journey fast and leads by three. Tribal Gal is second, three-quarters of a length from Awesome Annie, who moves through at the rail. Oh Happy Gray has five lengths to make up, and so does Wink and Wish. Then it's another three and a half back to Aw Golly Molly and a Kiss for a Rose. Sacred Delight has ten lengths to make up and ten lengths last. Warren's Sugar Buzz Home Journey has been in charge since they sprung it. Home Journey to the quarter pole. Now just a length in front. Home Journey goes to that quarter mile marker and again opens up two. Home Journey just took a brief breather but now opens up a big lead and Home Journey is pouring it on at the top of the stretch. Suddenly six or seven lengths in front. Awesome Ani, a kiss for a rose to the outside wink and wish, sacred delight, and on Golly Molly all battling for second. There's no doubt who's going to win. It's Home Journey and Aaron Ryder, and they have run up the score. Home Journey. Yes. Home Journey won by, wow, nine and a half. How good is Home Journey?
journey. That's a rhetorical question. Obviously, very, wow. very good. Two for two now in her career, and by daylight over the synthetic, eventually off at five to two. It is eight one three nine. Wow, two two times she's run two wins wire to wire both times. Uh, unbelievable. When I when I saw her run the second time, it was like. I, you know, you almost can't believe your eyes because she just ran so fast. There's something about when you raise a horse, a homebred horse, you've got the mare, you know, you, you've been with them since they've been born. I mean, all horses are special, but I don't know, there's a special tie to them when you've raised them and you've watched them grow and then you see them win. And I, I wish I had the words. I don't to tell you what the feeling is, but it's the highest high that I've ever been on in my whole life. It, it's it's a little bit more special in some ways, and I'll tell you why. Uh, one is because we bred her, so she's definitely like our own child. Uh, we've seen her from the day she was born up through now, uh, and I've been very excited about her since she was a yearling. She really showed a big race today. Did she worry you when she took that breath before she rebroke as they turned for home? Nah, I wasn't too worried. She pretty much sewed up the race by the time they hit the turn. The seven was under a ride, and Aaron still had horse. So it's been a heck of a week, and uh, I couldn't be happier with the way things have gone. And uh, no matter what the agenda holds in store for us, we got a lot to look forward to. Last year when Turbulent Descent was a favorite and had a, a tough trip, did you think that was sort of your chance? <laughs> and and it, it maybe passed you by, and you had to wait the full year? It's funny how things come full circle. Yeah, you never know how. How, how this game will treat you. Just keep your head down, you keep working, you keep digging, and that's what I've done. Was it true that you were up at 2.30 the day after Raiders cut back to the barn? Unfortunately, it is true. <laughs> you know, once that race is done, it's off to the next ones. you got to get the next horses ready. It's, it's a tough game. you always got to be ready. I just, I just am so excited for this filly. It's, it takes a long time to get a really good horse in. We've had a lot of horses, and um, they're all special, but she loves to run, obviously, so just hope it continues. who love the horses, the sport, people, all that goes with it, I'm Joe Pesci, and now you know what goes on behind the gate.
support. And, and I want people to see how much the people behind the gate care for their horses. I want people to see that. I want people to know that it's a passion for them. And it's not just a nine-to-five job. It's an encompassing, all-encompassing job for these people. Well, I want people to realize that, uh, that this industry is American. And it's now bigger in other countries than it is here. And we know how it grew here. We knew the importance of it and how it affected such a large percentage of our population. And I think we need to get back to this because these horses are what our life's about.